raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. So how is the black community feeling about Memphis, and how is the black community feeling about policing? Our next guest has some ideas. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey's here. Let's go to the drivehubler.com hotline. Our guest, J. Philip Clay, and he has a new piece over at the National Center for Public Policy Research. You can find it at nationalcenter.org, entitled, Where is the Black Outrage Over Black-on-Black Crime? J. Philip Clay joins us now on the drivehubler.com hotline. How are you, my friend? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, so let's talk about the piece. And the piece is, where is the outrage over black-on-black crime? And again, you can find it at the National Center for Public Policy Research. Tell us why you wrote the piece and what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. So the piece is obviously about the recent events that have transpired in Memphis. Um, And it kind of takes a deeper look into um, what's going on. And I I think the key points of the piece would would really be that there are obviously issues within certain departments. Um, You know, there are obviously bad cops out there. Um, Just because there are bad cops doesn't mean that we vilify all cops. Um, And and more specifically, the people that would vilify all cops uh, tend to be the ones that uh, are community leaders. um, And they lead in communities that consistently have crime uh, that is black on black um, that we don't see the same outrage for. Um, You know, it it seems that black lives only matter um, when they're being killed by police. um, And and obviously in this situation, black on black crime, um, police and, um, like we said, suspect, victim, um, whatever, whatever kind of comes with that investigation. but it's uh, it's really interesting to me that people like Al Sharpton um, will uh, vehemently, like I said, vilify police um, and, and say, you know, well, policing is rooted in white supremacy, policing is racist, um, but they don't talk about um, the racism that's happening in our own community uh, in places like Chicago or even here in Indianapolis um, where we're seeing murders at just un- ungodly rates. Uh, J. Philip Clay is our guest. He's got a new piece out. It is called Where is the Outrage Over Black-on-Black Crime? It's part of the National Center for Public Policy Research. You can find it at nationalcenter.org. So talk about writing this piece as a black man. You live here in central Indiana. I'm curious what sort of feedback you get on a piece like this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I I think, um, Rob, you and I have talked before, um, to be a black conservative, you have to have thick skin. Um, You're not obviously going to agree with everyone. uh, And there's a lot of hate that gets thrown at you specifically because you don't fit that typical mold of being um, just a black person who's a Democrat. for me to write this piece, um, it really didn't feel anything too out of the ordinary. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a really good working relationship with a lot of law enforcement agencies here in the state, um, specifically in my hometown, uh, where I was most recently able to be a part of a police citizens academy um, that kind of took us into uh, what goes into making a police officer, from the selection process to being on the road as a patrolman all the way up to being a chief. Um, and I'm very fortunate to be able to uh, counsel with those people um, and understand what's happening and understand the outreach within those departments. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very pro-law enforcement, um, but because I'm pro-law enforcement, I'm, I'm also anti-corruption. Um, and as, as one of my friends who's an officer in, in Plainfield said, um, good cops call out bad cops. And I think that's why you're seeing everybody outraged over what's happened down in Memphis. Yeah, I think that's a part of it, right? I mean, obviously it appears everything that happened was highly horrific and egregious and awful. And these officers should be punished if indeed in a court of law it all plays out of what we, we think we're seeing on the on the body cam. But that's the bigger conversation. 
conversation, right, is that there are so many great cops that are black. There are so many great cops that are white. There are so many great cops that are Asian or, or Hispanic or whatever that, you know, we try to say, well, they're all all bad. And the overwhelming majority of our police officers of all races, sexes, religions, political opinions, whatever, are really good people who would give their life for you in, in, in an instant. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that was one of the key points in the article as well. Regardless of the hate and, and just utter disgust that's that's thrown at, at these police officers that, that are good cops, um, at the end of the day, they're still going to wake up in the morning. They're still going to put on the Kevlar. They're still going to wear that badge representing their town, their community, their state proudly. Um, and they're going to protect us. And, and I think that's the most important thing. Um, you know, we can we can shout and we can say, you know, there's corruption in policing and people can say that it's, it's founded in white supremacy, which is utterly false. Um, but at the end of the day, these people are, are sworn to protect us, and most of them will do their utmost to uphold the badge and serve with integrity. J. Philip Clay is our guest. He has a new piece out called Where is the Outrage Over Black on Black Crime? It's for the National Center for Public Policy Research. You can find it at nationalcenter.org. It really is an interesting and, and, and very good piece. So from your perspective as black man, do you believe that there is a disconnect between police and the minority communities uh, across this country? And and if so, what can or should be done to try to to heal that divide? You know, I, I really don't think it's it's the way the media, the mainstream media, and I always hate saying that, but the mainstream media portrays it. Um, I don't think it's the same. Um, you know, like I said, I, I'm not naive enough to compare um, my hometown here in Indy and Memphis um, as the same place and not even begin to compare socioeconomic status or, or anything like that. Um, but the one thing that doesn't help police relations is saying that police officers are bad and saying that we need to defund the police and, and just saying that all cops are bad. Um, that doesn't help at all. Um, you know, if in, in the article, one of the key points I wanted to drive and I just didn't have time to was if you sit down with your local police chief and you, you make the effort to say, hey, um, there's a lot of things that are happening out there. Um, how can I help? How can I be involved? Um, what can I do to, to learn more about this department? I don't think there's an officer out there or a chief out there that would say, no, we're not going to do that. Um, I think for a lot of departments, transparency is key. And I know for a lot of departments, reviews happen often. Um, you know, again, as I, as I reference my hometown here, um, you know, they're constantly reviewing their policies and procedures. Um, they, they described it as a living document, um, much like the Constitution, where it's constantly being revised and amended and things added to it, things taken away from it that they see that, you know, aren't working to help secure this town. You're a part of two organizations. Again, J. Philip Clay is, is our guest. We're talking about his piece that he has on the over at the National Center for Public, Public Policy Research. Um, you're a part of two organizations that I'd like for you to talk about because I think they're interesting. First is Project 21. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Project 21 is a, it's an initiative of the National Center for Public Policy Research. Um, and really, um, the aim is to promote the views of African Americans. Um, and it's a, a wide variety of topics. Um, you name it, they cover it. Um, for me personally, it's been a fantastic opportunity to um, to write about things I'm passionate about um, and have the opportunity to do things like this, um, you know, to be able to come on and express viewpoints and uh, and talk about you know, just injustices or victories that we see in the world that we think are, are wrong or right um, and work to, you know, just open that dialogue up. The other thing you're a part of, and again, I think this is super interesting, is there is a, what is it actually called? It's a Republican diversity series here in the state of Indiana? Yeah, the Indiana Republican Diversity Leadership Series. Okay, so tell, uh, okay. T- tell me about that. What What is that? What do you, what has been accomplished with that? Do you feel like it's moving in the right direction? I, I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah, absolutely. So the Diversity Leadership Series for me has been um, 
honestly, it's been life changing. Um, Whitley Yates and, and Kyle Huffer and, and Rob, I know sometimes <laughs> we have differing we have differing opinions on on uh, on State Party, but um, you know I, I can't say enough good things about them and the opportunities that they've given me um, and the. Like I said, life-changing in ways that it's it's hard for me to describe. Um, you know, Project Twenty One came from me being a part of the diversity series. Um, the fact that um, I got to go to DC and spend time with the RNC and learn about strategic initiatives and learn how I can help um, bring other minority conservatives um, out and help them um, kind of find their own voice. Um, it's fantastic. And the goal for the diversity series is really to give minority conservatives in Indianapolis a place where they can start to make connections, uh, start to find their voice and ultimately influence the party, which I think is the goal of conservative politics. You know, at the end of the day, um, regardless of where we fall on that conservative spectrum, um, I think we can all agree that, you know, we could use diversity in the party. Um, and it also gives us a chance to say, you know, a lot of the stuff that people are saying about Republicans being racist and, you know, the party is slavery and all kinds of stuff um, really kind speak out against it um now obviously there's bad things that come with it you know you, t- you do have the occasional twitter troll that that wants to tell you that you know you're you're tap dancing for masters and that kind of stuff but at the end of the day um you know i, I can't say enough good things about the diversity series um and just the opportunities that it's afforded me and how it's changed my life okay so before we let you go uh again j philip clay our guest his piece where is the outrage over black on black crime uh, you can find it over at the national center for public policy research that's nationalcenter.org um if you had, if you were able to talk to police chiefs across this country, whether it is you know suburban communities like where you live, or whether it is larger communities like Indianapolis or Memphis, and you said the next several months you should do one or two things to try to instill more trust in in the black community, to try to bring people together, what would those things be? Be open. Be transparent. Um, talk to your communities. Like I said, I. Um, I, I can't brag on, on my hometown of Plainfield enough and for everything that they've done uh, in terms of being transparent, not just with the police department, but also local government. Um, but be open, be transparent, have dialogue with your um, with the people that you serve and protect. Um, understand that, you know, the relations that relations that you make, um, you're not always going to have a second chance at um, every impression that you make the first time has to be the right one. Um, but also, like I said, invite people in. Um, let them know that you're here to help them. You're here to protect them. Ask them what they're feeling. And, uh, you know, I don't think you can go wrong with that. Jay Philip Clay, the piece is excellent. We appreciate it. You're always welcome here. We'd love to have you back on again soon. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey Show. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Well, I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load. I've got seven women on my 19 minutes after 11, it is Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Let's talk about Bill Gates. 
He's continued to downplay his relationship with convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein, claiming for the air quotes 100th time that they were merely just dinner pals. So this happened on Australia's ABC. Sarah Ferguson is the host, and she was saying during the interview with him that one of the issues that has dogged his relationship to his ex-wife was his ties to Epstein. And his ex-wife has said she made it clear to Bill that she did not like it, that he was having these meetings with the guy. She says she met him once but regretted it. And Bill Gates has been denying that they had any sort of relationship. All right, so this is Bill Gates. I think this is, he was on with an Australian Mm -hmm. TV station of some sort, because I know he was at the Australian tennis matches. Mm -hmm. And listen to this interaction and how awkward this is um, when she asks him about Epstein. Now, one of the issues that's dogged you is, is that of your relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Do you regret the relationship that you maintained with him against Melinda's advice and wishes? Oh, I've said that I'm, I mean, this is, you're going way back in mm-hmm. time. But yeah, I, New audience. I will say for the, you know, over 100 time, yeah, I shouldn't have had uh, dinners with him. Um, Epstein had a way of sexually compromising people. Is that what Melinda was warning you about? No. I mean, it, it's no, I, I had dinner with him uh, and that's all. And that you regret the relationship, the acquaintance that I had dinner with him and and the relationship between the foundation and Epstein, which there was... never was any relationship of any kind. He started out with plural dinners and then changed it to dinner. I had dinner with him. OK, dinner. so th- this is the question of what level of like. What level of accountability do you have? Let's just pretend these guys actually were somewhat chummy, okay? Because I, I think I think it was more than just like a random, hey, we had a business dinner. Or Epstein was at this dinner that I was at. I, I think you spoke correctly the first time. There were multiple times by which they got together, and I don't think there were a bunch of people necessarily there at all of them. I don't know that for a fact, but I, I think if you kind of put things together, it could be wrong, whatever. But if you've had multiple dinners mm-hmm. with someone, mm-hmm. plural, that probably means you're somewhat interested in associating with them, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a leap, is it? No. Say if I, if I agree, if I have one dinner with you and, well, that went well, mm-hmm. and then we have like another dinner together, because I don't recall them ever being in business together, or I was forced to be with this person or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, plausible deniability do you have if you're chummy enough with someone to have multiple dinners together with them like i mean okay i'm just trying to think of my own example i don't have uh i don't do much socializing anymore but uh, first i can think about time micah and i Mm -hmm. have had multiple lunches or dinners together Mm -hmm. i have a pretty good idea that micah is not operating a child sex ring nor you know is he abusing people nor is you know right like wouldn't you have some obligation to know something about the person if you've had multiple dinners with them? Like, you may not, not, not know the most intricate details of someone's life, but wouldn't you have a hint of maybe, this guy's kind of a weirdo. Mm-hmm. This guy's mm-hmm. something like, I'm not putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. Like, where do you go in your free time? What do you do on that little island that you have there, good sir? Like, wouldn't there be some... At some point, wouldn't that come? You see what I'm, what I'm asking here? Well, he's denying that they had any relationship at all. And if you have one dinner 
okay, it's not a relationship. Like, you should meet... You met, you vetted, right. you interviewed, you realized, you know what, nah, this is this is not a love match. We're, we're not going to be BFFs forever. But when you have multiple dinners over an extended period of time, that is a relationship. Right. On some level. And he's trying to make it sound like it, dinner, dinner. You are the company you keep. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I've pounded brews many times over the years with Abdul. Mm-hmm. Abdul and I are very good friends. Mm-hmm. I would answer the question different than the way he answered that question. And if Abdul, again, I've been in Abdul's house. I've searched it high and wide when I was dog sitting for him. Didn't find anything nefarious, uh, outwardly <laughs> nefarious going on. Mm-hmm. I have a pretty good idea. Abdul, again, not running some sort of criminal apparatus out of his home. I, I would, I, I mean, just, just the lack of, just, yeah, I had dinners with a guy. Bill Gates is not just meeting with rando people, right? Well, exactly. Someone like Gates should have known who he was meeting with. Someone vetted this guy for him, <laughs> at least. And now he's trying to distance himself. And it's it's been reported that they met on numerous occasions, including at least three times at his penthouse in Manhattan. Yeah. That's- and he even said in 2011, he emailed his colleagues and he said his lifestyle is very different and kind of intriguing, although it wouldn't work for me. So he knew about his yeah. lifestyle enough to say that it was intriguing. What part of his lifestyle intrigues you? This is odd, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, I'm glad because I saw that. that. Man, something is totally off about this because someone the magnitude of a Bill Gates does not just meet randos for dinner, certainly on more than one occasion. He's one of the richest, most powerful people in the world. If- it's a pretty... It's a. <laughs> He has people that do the stuff. Yeah, and if nothing else, he wants to know, what does this guy want from me? Because, as yeah. you just said, Gates is one of the most richest, most powerful guys in the world. He's got to be thinking, well, this guy wants something from me. Can we play this Gavin Newsom audio before we go to a break? <laughs> I have no idea. He's I think riffing I, on alcoholism? I, 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 is this I, a platform? I think he's on? advocating for boozing it up. I think this is what he's doing, but mm-hmm. I, let's play it, and then I want to see if you heard the same thing that I heard. Okay. Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. I know it's a hold-your-hand idealistic point of view that somehow magically, I mean, God bless some of you. I, if you're like me, I've been known to have a glass of wine at night watching some of the nightly news. Uh, we all need to self-medicate periodically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country ever made. We all need to self-medicate. The politicians, do they just want us drunk so we can see them through beer goggles? (laughs) Like, really? He looks better when you're wasted? I don't know. California business climate's so bad, even Jerry Garcia's marijuana business is leaving California. Can you, I mean, can we just play that one more time, Kevin? Would that be possible? Because I want to make sure that we didn't mishear what Gavin Newsom said. (laughs) Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. I know it's a hold-your-hand idealistic point of view that somehow magically, I mean, God bless some of you. If you're like me, I've been known to have a glass of wine at night watching some of the nightly news. Uh, We all need to self-medicate periodically. (laughs) Okay. They should run on that platform. Um, I I saw we just had a moment here. Um, One one other piece of audio I just thought we might get to real quick. I don't know if we can. We've got this Kamala Harris audio. (laughs) 
I, you know what? You ask me all the time, what is she trying to say, Casey? I don't, I don't know. I could not figure this one oh, out. Great. I know she's addressing the economy of some sort. And, okay, let, let's listen to it. Here's Kamala Harris. We are doing the work that is about collaborating around the small businesses that will need to do the work that will be the result of all the trillions of dollars we're putting into the infrastructure of our country, including the almost trillion dollars that we're going to be putting into a whole new economy that is called a clean energy economy. Right? She's doing the work. What did she say? I she I, I'm imagining shiny new car charging stations across the country. <laughs> what did nothing she, to power them? Isn't that weird that with both the president and the vice president on a regular basis, it's not like, hey, he used the wrong word, or you know, it was like we're Bush mm-hmm. just forgot the line in the middle of the thing. Shame, fool me once, you know, shame on you, fool me, you know, and they forgot. It's like every week we are we are playing audio of them speaking. Like, we're not taking the audio out of context. We're not manipulating it. But every week with the president and the vice president, we are asking, what are these people even saying? We don't know if we can be critical of it or not because we don't know what they're saying. Don't you find the irony that she's talking about working something that she really hasn't done for a long time? I mean, she's, you know, missing an action half the time. She's supposed to be the border czar, right? She she's not doing that. She she's going to be in Arizona, a hundred miles away from the border. Not going. All right, Casey. When we come back, a shocking admission from a Republican U.S. House representative that I felt we had to play mm-hmm. uh, because it will prove something that I've been saying for a very long time. All right, it's Kendall and Casey. It's ninety three WIBC. McCarthy and his House GOP allies, they're hashing out their initial demands to raise the national debt limit. They're discussing cuts to domestic programs. They want to trim defense spending. And McCarthy has a face-to-face meeting with Biden coming up tomorrow. And it's going to be a challenge to try and balance everything out. Biden, of course, says there's not going to be any negotiations. Congress must allow the government to pay its bills. That's a horrible Joe Biden impression, but you get the idea. He said, I will not let anyone use the full faith and credit of the United States as a bargaining chip. So a representative by the name of Claudia Tenney, she is a U.S. rep from New York. She's a Republican, Mm -hmm. was on Newsmax, Mm -hmm. and she was talking about Biden negotiating on the debt ceiling, Mm -hmm. and she admitted something out loud that we've been saying on this show for a very long time, and our old pal, the Duke of Spendingburg and his cronies, including member Igor, his evil assistant, who was very mean to me at the Stacks Pancake House. You know, many of those people go, nuh-uh, or they don't own it, or they don't admit it. And this lady right here was very kind of her, Claudia Tenney, Republican representative from, uh, from New York. She admitted that deficits, mm-hmm. debt, the national debt, government spending, is the driver of inflation. The Democrats are determined to say we're not going to negotiate, but this has been done before. President Obama negotiated uh, in, in, when facing a debt ceiling bath in 2011, and it's not unprecedented. But I think that President Biden would be well advised to compromise on spending because this is what's driving inflation. Oh, he'd government's. Be, he'd be well to compromise on spending uh-huh. because that is what is driving inflation. Yes. 
So right there, Claudia Tinney, Republican mm -hmm. uh, representative from New York. She's not a right-wing grenade thrower by any stretch of the imagination. Just admitted what we have been telling you on this show now. I mean, me and the previous blonde lady who looks somewhat like you were saying the same thing. That when Todd Young goes out and laments inflation, he is the cause of it. It is not just a Biden problem, and this is the thing we got to hammer home to people. The reason the latest spending got done was because of the Republicans. Todd Young and Mitch McConnell and the rest of the merry, merry band of misfits teamed up with Chuck Schumer to spend $1.7 trillion. When you go to the grocery store and you pay these ridiculous prices for food, it's really easy to go, frickin' Biden. But you need to look in the mirror and go, Frickin' young. And if you voted for Todd Young, you need to look in the mirror and go, my frickin' self. <laughs> Ouch. But it's true, yeah. right? We always want to blame the other people. And certainly Biden and the Democrats and Schumer and Pelosi, obviously they're wholly invested in this. But Todd Young's added $12 trillion to the national debt in, in six and a half years. And he's not stopping. And if you are one of the people who voted for him, or, you know, we have people that listen all over the place. If you're someone who voted for Mitch McConnell or whoever then you own this. Mm -hmm. This is on you because you keep sending the people back who keep doing the stuff. Spending, government spending is the primary driver of inflation. The reason you are paying so much for stuff is because the government keeps spending money. And if you are banking on some sort of miracle from the House Republicans that they're going to stand tall on this debt ceiling thing, you are dreaming. Okay, so a bunch of them sent this letter to President Biden warning that they wouldn't vote for any bill to raise the nation's debt limit unless it's connected to spending cuts. Okay, but... Did, but, but, go but, ahead. Well, I was going to say, the problem is there's like 24 Republicans right. or whatever it was. Well, what about the other 24? Yeah. Because we've already seen before... The, the 24 who, who stand tall don't matter because Toddy and Mitchie and, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Lindsay and, mm -hmm. you know, the rest mm -hmm. of them are never afraid to stab the American people in the back if it helps a donor or a lobbyist somewhere. <laughs> that, that was my question. Did Todd Young sign that letter? I didn't see his name. And neither did I, and I looked. I well, tried to find it. You know how it wasn't there. You know how it works, Casey. On everything <laughs> Todd Young does, when he gets to work each day, him and his adult supervision, his Senate daddy, Mitch McConnell, he holds his hand as he walks into work and says, Daddy, what are we doing today? Daddy, how am I voting today? Daddy, do I have permission to vote on this? And then Mitch grants his permission or not, and Todd does what he's told. Okay, let's talk about this uh thing that Biden said. <laughs> So dismissive. <laughs> the video is so great, and it just stinks. Know. We can't show the video. So he is. His name is Robert Hur. His name is Robert Hur. He's so he's leaving the White House, and he's mm -hmm. getting ready to get on. Whether it's I think it must have been the chopper of some sort. Yeah. And the press is there, and they're, they're the little press road there. They've got him roped off, and they're 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 asking, you know shouting questions at him, mm -hmm. and someone asks him a question about the special counsel. Remember, this was just a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, Garland had the big, or Merrick, Merrick Garland, yes. Merrick yes. Garland had the big mm -hmm. press conference. Mm -hmm. I'm appointing the special counsel. Mm -hmm. The Merrick Garland, who is the, the you know the head of the DOJ. Who, His name is Robert Hur. Who's appointed by Biden. January 12th. Yeah. Uh, so here is Biden's <laughs> response to the question about the special counsel who's investigating him. 
One other, if the, if the, if the uh, special counsel who's starting to drink gas for your testimony, would you give testimony? It's hard to hear, but he says, well, I don't know about any testimony. I, I, I don't know any special counsel. I don't know about this. Counsel. He doesn't know about the special counsel. I don't know about special counsel. Casey, if you were to ask, <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of what would I say as dismissive as Biden was. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to say, um, <laughs> Rob, do you, uh, what are your thoughts on the Legos that are in my living room? <laughs> I might say, uh, I don't, I don't know about any Legos. <laughs> Rob. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't, he's can't. so dismissive of it. I know. You can't even think of something to make up because his name is Robert Herr. Yeah. It was reported on January 12th that he was appointed. Your Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed the special counsel to investigate you. He was appointed before the documents were discovered when Biden was senator. So he was appointed before even more documents came out. But is it Casey, isn't he so dismissive because he knows what the outcome will be? Is that an old man not thinking it through and he's already knows how that it will, nothing will end up happening to him? Or is does he genuinely not know? <laughs> it's a toss up. It's 50-50 on that. Really? I mean, you could, I would believe either one. You could say he doesn't know because he can't remember. He doesn't know where he's at. All right. Or he's just blowing it off because he doesn't want to talk about it. Okay. that, that All three of those work. That was bad enough. But moments before that, <laughs> Biden, the president of the United States, mm-hmm. literally did a show me yours, I'll show you mine mm-hmm. in regards to Kevin McCarthy and his budget. This yeah. is our president. Listen. Would you like to negotiate? What about negotiating with Kevin McCarthy? Show me his budget and I'll show you mine. Show me. Who do you take in that fight? Kevin McCarthy or Joe Biden? Well, here's the here is what will be at stake because you've got in one hand a guy who doesn't <laughs> know his name or where he's at quite a bit. Uh, I don't know anything about a special counsel. On the other hand, you've got a guy who's completely beholden to special interests and lobbyists, and he's an establishment Republican. So that's really going to be a strong competition to see who can spend the most money in in those negotiations (laughs) there, Casey. It's like a contest. Republicans always cave, though. Sure. They always talk a big game, but then when they get there, fold, fold, fold. So is it going to happen in the Oval? Because if it does, Biden has home field advantage, right? And he went through this in 2011 and said that he would never negotiate again. And you could take his word as a Biden. So, so here's that's where you're supposed to insert laugh here. <laughs> take his word as a Biden. So I've been, I've been trying to come up with an answer to this, mm-hmm. and there there really is no answer. And the answer is, I mean, there there is an answer, but there is no answer to the question I'm going to ask. If you never ever will not raise the debt ceiling then why would these people ever stop spending the money i mean todd young told me in a room full of people a now infamous encounter in which he (laughs) moved very aggressively in my direction it has uh, it has gone nationwide uh, at the stacks pancake house (laughs) that he was never going to stop spending the money Mm -hmm. that he regretted none of the COVID spending all Mm -hmm. the waste fraud and abuse Mm -hmm. and he would never stop spending on entitlements or any or anything so if Todd Young, who's supposed to be a Republican, is telling me he's not stopping, we all know the Democrats aren't stopping. How do you stop it 
unless you hold firm on not raising the debt ceiling. Right. I'm I'm, I'm asking this out loud. If you are an establishment Republican, if you uh, work in the governor's office or in Spendingberg's office or in Jim Banks' office, or uh, and I got to jump lump Banks in there now because he's uh, you know Kevin McCarthy super fan and uh, touting all these endorsements from establishment Republicans. Any of these people, if you work, need not give your name. Just call the hotline. If you do not. If you say we will raise the debt ceiling no matter what, how do you ever stop the spending given the fact that the Republicans and Democrats have both said we're never stopping the spending? I would welcome that for people to say I'm too mean to these people or I need to be nicer or I need to hug them more or whatever. 317-684-8444. If you will take the debt ceiling, if you will say we will raise the debt ceiling no matter what, how do you stop people spending the money? Here's something that I think we can all look forward to that's going to happen. The media is going to start reporting the Republicans wanted to default on national debt. They're going to put that out there. Sure. So? No, no matter what happens. So? Well, they're going to try and paint the Republicans in a bad light. So? I mean, they do that on their own many times, but that's what they're going to say. Who cares? They're going to try and pigeonhole them and, and make them look bad. Well, but this is, and this is what I never understand. Okay. So Even you- if they stay firm and government shut down, which... Who knows if it'll happen? But if they do that, then the White House is going to say, well, the Republicans want us to default. So what? I'm just saying. But, but okay, but you've made a statement. But my question is, so what? This is the question I always ask to Republicans. You it, you ran on something, and you, all these Republicans ran on, except for Spendingberg, because he right. said he's never going to stop spending the right. money. But he was on a Stop Washington Waste Tour, which is weird. Maybe he needs to seek a counselor of some sort to figure out what's going on in his mind, where right. on one hand, I will never stop spending the money at the Stax Pancake House, but then went across the state on a Stop Washington Waste Tour. Spendingberg aside, many of these Republicans ran on, we are going to get spending under control. Mm-hmm. If someone voted for you on that and you won... Mm-hmm. Why would you care if the media reports that you did what you said you're going to do? I've never understood this, why people run on something, they win, and then they get in office and they do the exact opposite thing. You ran on it. You won. Right, do it. Do the thing you ran on. Do it, yeah. But it's just an example of how the Democrats are going to try and paint them in a bad light. I would love to be painted in a bad light by a Democrat. <laughs> I think you are every day. It's 1146. <laughs> it's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. So President Biden has a State of the Union address coming up, but a new poll finds that a majority of Americans don't think 
the state of the country is strong. More than 60% of people think the state of the union is not good. And this is a Marist poll. An overwhelming majority of independent voters, also Republicans, they have a negative opinion of the state of the country. 72% believing it's not strong or not strong at all. Biden's approval rating has remained at 42% pretty much since December. Okay, unless you're an uber-wealthy, connected person, Mm -hmm. and maybe even for those people, because they've felt it too, uh, what part of American life would you look at and go, this is really good? Things are good. Fill in the blank is going really well in this country as a whole. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not even trying to be snarky or facetious or whatever when I ask that question. To To a regular person... What part, without saying the name Donald Trump, is going really well? Because Donald Trump not being the president is not making food more affordable. It's not making gas more affordable. It's not making the border more secure. It's not solving the war between Ukraine and Russia. Inflation's not coming down. What part of American life under Joe Biden do you look at and go, we are, my life is markedly better Mm -hmm. because blank? Well, I'm sure that there are some people who would say something along the lines of, well, we're more diversified. <laughs> but how does that make your life better? And what does that... It, what, it doesn't make my what, life what, better. One, what does that even mean? Yeah. And two, how does that make your life any better? So you're saying that this poll is correct, spot on. I saw Chuck Todd talking about something how NBC does this, is the country on the right track or wrong track? They've been keeping track of this for years and he said it has been the longest sustained period where nbc's polling even said wrong track and it's been like that for three years now two years three years yeah i mean you you can't the inflation is so great that you can't for most people Mm -hmm. you can't work your way out of it unless you're saying okay i'm going to get a second like a second job of some sort well inflation hits 100 percent of everybody sure there's no way to duck it Mm -hmm. or dodge it and if we're in if we're in america that says look we want to be a country where you work a full-time job and if you got a couple kids you got to go to a second job part-time or whatever in order to beat inflation is that what we're willing to accept as Americans, I mean, is that is that what we're willing to say? Well, because Twitter bothered us so much that we're now willing to be a society. I mean, we did the story earlier where 64% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Now, mm-hmm. there's a lot of issues with financial liter- literacy, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But that's because of the policies people like Joe Biden have, have put into place. Is that where we are as a country? Is that we just accept whatever garbage gets thrown mm-hmm. At us because that's where we seem to be, Casey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I'm filthy rich and terribly good looking. And if I just keep telling you over and over, those things will become true. And and if we if we take it down the ladder, right? Like we're talking about a national issue, which is inflation and the price of gas and the price of food, mm-hmm. etc. But let's let's extrapolate. Let's take it down the ladder. What about what's happening in our state for a year now? Indiana Republicans who control everything, all the statewide offices, supermajorities in the House and Senate, governor's mansion, they knew property taxes were about to skyrocket. 
That is not about helping kids or helping the schools. Property taxes have risen to a level that is disgusting. Okay? Disgusting. What have they done for a year? Nothing. Sat on it. Nothing. Mm -hmm. We were literally reading assessments of people in our listening audience on the air almost a year ago is Mm -hmm. when we started. When you first started here was when that happened. So we're Mm -hmm. closing in on a year. They did nothing. What are they doing now? Nothing. There is no plan. You know what they're doing? They're screwing around with a state sandwich and a state nickname. Oh, we'll get to that in just a second. So Biden's State of the Union address. Where's the leadership? Tuesday, February 7th, 9 p.m. Do you think he's going to say the State of the Union is strong? Well, you, you well, you sent me a thing the other day that there's only been one president ever to not say it, right? Yeah. Only one president has had the guts to say the State of the Union was not good. And it was Gerald Ford. He said the State of the Union is not good. Not, not under scrutiny, not needs improvement, just not good. <laughs> but Biden can't do that because he'll either take the blame or the credit for whichever way he wants to describe it. Hey. He should say, I wet the bed on docks. We spent way too much money. The vaccine wasn't great. Sure, we weaponized the DOJ. And sure, Hunter used my name for personal gains. But here's what we're going to do differently. He won't do that, though. Yeah, there are there are no honest assessments. But real quick, speaking of state sandwich, you, yeah. you had an interesting thing on your side piece over at WIBC.com <laughs> that we do have a state drink, and it's the most Indiana drink ever. <laughs> it's it the most, if you, What did we pick as our state drink? Casey, go. You would think that it would be a tall glass of milk, right? Yeah. After all, that's the choice given to the winners after the Indy 500. No, Indiana's signature drink is not milk, <laughs> which it is for 19 other states. Indiana's state beverage is and this is where kevin would be great with a drum roll it's water yes water our state drink is water it's water the official beverage of indiana water there was actually a proclamation in 2007 our state drink is water the 115th general assembly of indiana senate resolution 20 determined the official beverage of indiana h2o baby all right thank you rob Thank you, Kevin. Good job today, and thank you for listening. We're going to count on you to be back here tomorrow. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.